Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. You know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. All right, this is Martha Earls. Uh, just so good at what she does. Uh, she's Kane Brown's manager, amongst other things. So she is the owner-manager of EFG Management, 102 Entertainment. She works with Kane Brown, Restless Road, and a list of others. And she's just done so much since she's moved to Nashville in 1996. I mean, she's now somebody who others look at as an innovator. And I think at the time, at least my perspective is, when she started, especially with Kane, People were like, well, what's going on here? And then now they're like, oh, well, we see what's going on there. She's smarter than most folks. So just like to bring in people who are changing how business is done here in Nashville. And we talk about music. We talk about how she went from working as a receptionist all the way to, you know, what she's doing now with multiple artists, including Kane Brown. Like massive, massive, massive. Just super lucky to get her on this. And maybe you guys, like myself, because I did learn, learn something here. Mike, any notes from this you remember here? I did learn something from her. She said something interesting about work-life balance that I took away from this. Yeah, I think I took it away too, but then I forgot while working too much. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that so one resonated I, with me. But I remember her talking about when she, maybe it's when she was with people, she is focused, something like that. Yeah, be where you are. Yeah. She, be she says it better than we do because we can't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> here is Martha Earls, Kane Brown's manager, but she's so much more. I'm really proud to present this one to you, and I hope you like it. Thank you. Enjoy episode 343. So, did you watch the Grammys last night? You know, I watched a little bit of the Grammys last night. I'm always curious with, you know, people like yourself who, you know, you have a different perspective than I do, who has a different perspective. You know, it just depends where you are on kind of the, the spectrum here. Like, when you watch the Grammys, I just wonder, has, has Kane ever been nominated? No. Okay, and that's going to be something else I'm going to get to where I feel like Kane is the most underappreciated massive artist we have. And I mean massive in, in, in the truth. I agree. So I will get to that. Great. But you watch the Grammys a bit of it? or Yeah, I've watched a bit of it. 20 minutes? Yeah, 30. What do you think when you see the Grammys? Like on TV, what's, what's, what comes to your mind? I mean, I've seen the Grammys 
in person mm -hmm. and I've seen the Grammys on TV and I try when I look at it on TV, I try to think of it like a fan would think. So I hope they're getting the experience that they want. Um, you know, and you just know everything that goes into it. And, you know, on these TV shows, their their ratings are unf unfortunately falling. And so I sometimes watch it thinking, are they doing certain things to try to help their ratings? It's an interesting ratings question because I have been asked to host, without saying which ones, an award show or two here. Sure. And when they say, hey, we're going to do it like all the other years, it's like, man, everything is pointing down because we have more options. Right. We, you know, there's more stimuli everywhere. Right. And so if you're doing it the same and I'm going to be a part of it and then it goes down, I'm going to be blamed for it going down as the host. That's, that's what I'm feeling because it's going to go down. It's going to go down. If it's flat, that's a huge victory. Yes. So my approach has been let's do some things that are a bit different. And I understand when they go, well, if we do it different, it, it hasn't been tested, hasn't been researched. Sure. And it could really bomb out. And in my mind, we're either going to bomb or we're going to do worse. And I would rather bomb with the chance of crushing. Yeah. Just generally for my career. And I guess that's what I'm getting to here. 100%. Is I would rather take a swing so hard yes. that I may miss seven times in a row. And you know what? I'm okay because I swung with my gut as hard as I could. Yes. You have to. And it feels a bit like that's a bit what your methodology is in general. Yes. D <laughs> Was, did all of that kind of make sense together? Did I tie it all together into how I, I, I see you as a visionary? I, well, I appreciate that. That's very nice. Um, yes, no, but you're accurate. I mean, that's completely accurate. I don't think, I don't like to play small. I, but I also am so drawn to things. I like things that can move and shape and shift culture. Like that's, that is my personal mission statement. That is what I love, that's what I get so excited about. And so when you have anything that's going to affect culture, A, a lot of people are not going to like it. And, and they're not supposed to. Right. Makes yeah. people uncomfortable. Yes, absolutely. People don't like change. Growth hurts. And, and physically and, and creatively. <laughs> yeah, growth growth no, hurts. No, it's true. But then you wind up in a better place. But um, yeah, so to me, because that's what I'm drawn to, then naturally, of course, there is, you're taking big chances. You, you know, I said this the other day. You can't be afraid to fail. People are so afraid to fail. And I think in this social media era, they're even more afraid to fail because now everybody's watching them fail. You, don't, you can't do fail quietly anymore. And so you have to just not worry about that, not my, be afraid. My, my last book is called Fail Until You Don't. And it's basically that. And what I did was not only did I write my thoughts on it, um, I grabbed my most successful friends and had them not talk about success, but they're big, fat failures. Yes. And so I had the governor of Arkansas. I had Stapleton. I had, at the time, a songwriter that hadn't had any songs on the radio but was plugging away, and he had lots of failure, Walker Hayes. Yes. And so, and, and his thing was he just did it, even then when he wrote this on my book, what he did was different, and it wasn't catching, and it what, but he wasn't going to stop doing it. And it's a, such a testament to just what you said there. If you're trying to change a culture a lot of people aren't going to like it because a lot of people are just living in that culture where they think they're happy. Right. They don't even know how happy they can be. Well, they're comfortable. There's a difference, right, between happiness and comfortable. And I, like, I also personally am very um, 
driven by like becoming your best version of yourself. Not just me, but those around me, probably to an annoying point. And so I also think if you're comfortable, then are you, you're not growing, thus you're not becoming the best version of yourself. You're not evolving. But a lot of people, I'd say 50% of people would rather sit in comfort, even if they know it's not the right situation, than feel the pain of change. When you said that people don't want to fail now, because everything is so public. I, you're absolutely right. But the thing is, if we think about our failures and we think about, for me, the times that I've either, I, don't, I mean, I do so much radio, I don't think about failure there because it's just hours. So I'm going to take that out. But like when I'm on live television, if I'm doing American Idol or, or presenting at an award show, there have been times where I've screwed up pretty bad. Hmm. Nobody remembers it. We remember, I don't remember it. Right, we remember it because it's us. Yeah. And so therefore, we feel like well, since we remember it, everybody else must remember it too. No, they're remembering their own stuff. That's right. They don't, it's like the thing about like when you go to the beach and you're worried about how you look and then it's like, don't be worried because everybody else is worried about how they look. Like that's life. And if we could just assign that to, if we gave ourselves the grace to realize that people aren't really keeping track, they don't have a notepad of all, all of our care. failures. They don't care. They don't care. They're so worried care. about themselves. But that's ego though, because our ego thinks people care. Right. And Nikki, uh, one of the people that works with me, she got tattooed on her arm. Kill your ego in huge letters on her arm to remind her, like, don't worry about what other people think, because that's just feeding your ego. Set your ego aside and just be driven by purpose and you'll be fine. So I was watching the Grammys. Another takeaway I had was I and maybe it's because I'm getting older, but I, I don't think that's it. I just don't like celebrities anymore. <laughs> I don't. That's I, troublesome for your line of work. Well, no, because I am not a celebrity and I don't like the artists who present themselves as untouchable. At, and I think the consumers are annoyed by untouchable celebrities as well. I agree. And that's that's really the feeling that I got when even watching clips of it was you're not better than us. And I feel like that is that's one of the last pieces of culture with Hollywood and a little bit of Nashville that hasn't been broken down yet where I think it's just lagging. I get annoyed with re- really famous people who know they're really famous and act really famous. Mm. So, and I, but I think that's where Kane has been able to thrive. Yeah, no, he's, he is who he is. That's all. I mean, he is the person that you see on social media or on television or he's painfully honest and I appreciate that about him. And it's the new generation. Like Luke Combs is the same way. Completely true. When Luke got a new Rolex, he's like, listen, I don't, buy Rolex. I didn't used to buy Rolexes, but now like I've made money and I bought my first one. And he told the story and you're like, hey, listen, I think some artists who have 40 Rolexes wouldn't admit to anything like that because they don't want to be something that they think they shouldn't be. Right. When in reality, we just want to feel like it's a real person. Yes. And I think Kane has done an excellent job there. I'm sure a lot with your guidance, but it's a lot of who he is too. Yeah. Of low to high, however you want to define that, he's just remained the same person even though the circumstances have been changing around him. Yeah. Well, he's he's also vulnerable, confidently vulnerable, if that makes sense. And I think that's critical too. He'll admit when he doesn't know something. I've seen him in an interview and he'll just look at the person asking him some sort of question and he'll say, I, I don't know what that word means that you just used. You know, like he just is very confident and comfortable in who he is. And I think that then you don't have to front and you don't have to put on a persona that people think, like you were saying, is disingenuous. 
I feel like, and then I want to get to your origin, but I feel like I am not smart enough to lie and keep up a front because I would just forget. <laughs> I would just forget. And I think that's a bit why now, and, and I also understand that people can be rubbed the wrong way by me quite frequently because I do push against culture a lot and I do have opinions and I'm also hard-headed, right? And I think a lot of times when the Venn diagram happens to all the way overlap and you get all of them, I, like, I understand it. But I, it's hard for me to be something I'm not just because I can't remember. Well, yeah. I, can't, I can't remember the lies I've told or if I was going to tell them. it's exhausting, right? You're exhausting and your energy is going more into being a person you aren't than to being the person you are. And that, I think, would be very tiring. So when you moved to Nashville, uh, apparently we're being raided right now by <laughs> yeah. the law enforcement. I'm going to go yes. here in a second. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's actually my uh, entourage. They're coming right now. They're late. Yeah, that's, they're that's, that's, a bad, that that's a bad police escort, the one that follows you here <laughs> yeah, 10 minutes behind. That is true. Uh, you grew up in Pennsylvania? Central Pennsylvania, yes. Like, well, what was hometown like? Small town. Every town in America, you know, flyover state town. Um, yeah, it's weird. The neighborhood I live in now in Nashville is larger than my entire hometown. It's really strange. Um, and I didn't know about the music industry, of course. But, um, but you know, my parents were, especially my dad, really into traveling. Tra- like, they love travel. They love to take us places and see things. And not like the beach. I never went to the beach. I never went to the beach until I was, I think, 21 years old. But we went to England, you know, or we went to, you know, weird Scotland, places like that. And so I always was interested in the world and a larger world view. So when I left, you know, it was no. I mean, I knew I was going to leave. I knew I wasn't going to live there. So it wasn't a big, it's obviously a jump, but it wasn't a big jump that you had never imagined when you left. No, it was the only thing I could imagine was, was being on my own. I mean, I was 17 and I went to college. I went to college in New Jersey for a year and a half before I moved down to Nashville and uh, yeah, it was just the most natural transition for me. Why did your parents travel so much? Who, who which one, and what was, why? What, how did they get the bug? I think it was. I mean, it was my dad. I think you know, they're both, both my parents are, are really intelligent, curious people, and I think they just wanted to see the world, as I do. I love traveling. I love it. Yeah, big I, perk. Yes, until you do it all the time. Like I'm so torn on it now. Yeah. I never travel. I mean, I never left my state until I don't know, teenage, like late teenager, but then. You're like, I can't wait to travel. And so I started to go places, even by myself, that I'd seen on television. Japan, because uh, Full House, Jesse and the Rippers was there. Um, Hawaii, because of the Brady Bunch. So I didn't know anybody. That, I'm from a really small town in Arkansas, and nobody traveled. But I just knew places from television. Uh, I went to London because friends was, went to London. So that's how I made my first grid of where to travel. And so traveled and then started touring, doing stand-up and doing... I was like, God dang, I never want to go anywhere again. Yeah, that's a grind. And it's a, it's a, I'm pulled back and forth because I, I like it and then you get exhausted of it and then you really just want to pick your places. Do you do that now where you have to travel a bit? Yes. Um, the last few years obviously have been different with the pandemic. I've traveled more though um, since Kane went and, and Restless Roads was, is on that tour, was on that tour. I've traveled more for that tour than any time before because yeah, pandemic hit, right? We were traveling and Whatever. And then when we got back out on the road, it just felt different. Things just felt different. And there, unfortunately, we thought we would get back out on the road in September of 21 and it would be like all just like butterflies and popping bottles of champagne and pats on the back. And instead, it was just this like specter of this 
when is the other shoe going to drop? When's this all going to go away again? And that's a heavy feeling, right? And so we found like, I found like I needed to be out there every single weekend. And so instead of in the past, maybe I'd go to two shows a month. I was now going, now I'm going to eight, 10, just the way it goes. You go to school for a year and a half. Did you drop out? No, I transferred. I, uh, I, this is, I, I've told this story before. It's funny. But I've never heard it. Uh, okay. So, so treat I, me as a new, treat me as somebody new. It's kind of embarrassing. Everybody thinks it's funny. But so I went to, I was good. I, I liked in call or in, when I was young in high school, I liked track and field running and uh, I was good at playing the piano. And so I got a better scholarship for playing the piano. So I went to this music school in New Jersey and it was a classical music school where I had, you know, got a piano, whatever scholarship. And so um, you had to declare your major and I didn't want to be a piano player. I didn't think that like, and I didn't want to be a music educator because those people are like the bottom of the barrel abused, you know, in an elementary school or a high school, the music teacher gets picked on the most. So um, you had to declare a major and I was like looking at the options and they were pretty limited. I mean, the school was small, it was 350 people. And I was like, oh, what job works two days a week and gets a full-time salary? Church organist. So my major in college, I'm <laughs> 17, pipe organ major, right? And so as a pipe organ major and after like Two months, I was like, "Oh my God, what am I do? What, what like what am I doing? This is insanity." And so um, I started trying to figure out like where what what I could possibly do. And one of the girls who was there, who was graduating, she's going to NYU to be an entertainment attorney. She's going to law school. And I was like, "Oh wow, I didn't know that you could be in the music business. That's amazing." And so I just got online and learned about the music business and how do you go to college for the music business. And I ended up down here. So you moved from New Jersey to Nashville. Yes. This is probably, what, 90? I mean, ish. Let's okay. just, you know. Good enough. <laughs> so you moved down. And, and Not 1990, by the way. I feel right, like I was going to gonna, say that. I was gonna be like 99. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So you, you moved down from New Jersey to Nashville, especially then it seems like that would be a little bit of a culture shock. A little bit. I mean, it was, honestly, it was more of a culture shock moving from central Pennsylvania to New Jersey because central Pennsylvania, small towns are small towns, regardless of where you are, north or south That's of the Mason-Dixon yeah. line. That's a good point. So moving back down, moving down here felt, a li- the energy felt similar, more similar to where I grew up. But it was just such a big town. Even that long, 20 plus years ago, Nashville was so big and I loved it. And I, uh, I, I went to MTSU, Belmont and MTSU were the two colleges and MTSU just spoke more to me and so that's where I went and I graduated and it was a great experience. Did you live in Nashville or did you live out near campus? I lived in Murfreesboro. Yeah. I did what everybody does. I lived in Murfreesboro and then I made that transition into Antioch and mm. then I made the transition into town. So what was your first entry level? You're done with school, Nashville job. Well, I was an intern. I interned the summer between my junior and senior year at Warner Chapel Music Publishing and I didn't really know a lot about music publishing and I got in there and I really liked it because you're on the ground level of the creative process. But I was always drawn to the artists and the artist songwriters. Not like I love regular songwriters, but there's something really interesting to me. So like Jason Aldean and I talk about this all the time. He, I was the intern and he had just gotten his publishing deal and he was brand new to Nashville. And so every time we see each other, we tell stories like everybody looks at like we're crazy, but 20 year old stories. And so watching these artists it was Jason, it was 
little big town was signed there. It was watching these people come up through their careers and write their albums and develop their art and become artists was really, I loved it. And so they offered me a job. I became the receptionist. And then I went and worked in like the tape copy room of Warner Chapel and just worked my way up. When you are in this town and you're working in the industry, but not all the way in the industry, like your goal is to be, but you were... Are there like, hey, if you come and do this and you do well, eventually you can move into this part of it. Is that kind of a yes. an unspoken rule or is it spoken? It's completely how it works. No, I mean, I, I tell everybody, anybody even now, like when we hire an intern or something, it's like this could turn into a job if you do what needs to be done. It's so hard to find dependable people. It's so hard to find people that will show up and, because I've had this experience with, I mean, even Mike over here, he, he was an intern, then he... I got him an assistant producer job. And I said, hey, move to Nashville and just be my assistant for a minute. And I swear to God, just if you just show up. Yes. I got him an assistant producer job on the show, answered phones. Now he's running the whole thing. Yeah. But it's really because he's dependable and trustworthy and everything else was developed out. Right. Smart, I think is important. But I wouldn't know that from the entry level stuff that he was mm. doing at first. He had the, all the opportunity to prove that my, like he's not even here right here looking at me. <laughs> and and he's and the fact that he's this elevated is because he's really quite brilliant. But early on, I don't need you to be that smart. I just need you to color in the circles. Right. And if you do that wonderfully, holy crap, now you get the opportunity to do this. And then you start to expand. And that's just been the problem that I have had with hiring people in the last three or four years at, is they just want to come and do it all immediately. Right. And it's we're not... We're not looking for that quite yet. You're going to have a time to shine. But if you show up on time with a good attitude and a good work ethic, you can do anything in the whole world. You can do anything. That, any- yeah. Somebody put it best where they said, to, to do what I'm doing, you have to do what I did. And I think sometimes people forget that and they're, they just say, well, I want to do what you're doing. Then you have to do what I did. Because that all of my experience, I have no regrets. All of my experience, job experience has led me and given me the tools to do what I do now. And if I had just jump to the front of the line, you know, I wouldn't have gotten that. I wouldn't be where I am. I wouldn't be able to do this job. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they'll last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. They offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. And stay cool in short sleeve moisture wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tacova's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. Tacovas.com. And don't go gently, y'all. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. 
they said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Did you feel working in publishing, especially early on, with your music background, a lot of folks have a music background here in some way, that you could like hear a song and like hear the hook and be pretty good at going, hey, it's a pretty good song. Did you have that talent? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I don't, um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I know what I like. I think I have pretty down-the-middle-of-the-road musical taste. Um, but I also think I learned in publishing that um, that everybody likes different things, and not everybody's going to like every single song. I don't like every single song that's on the radio right now, but somebody else likes that song too. So I think you also, publishing was a great way to learn to, sort of get over maybe your own personal preference and just kind of think about is there some is this going to reach somebody somewhere out there what was your first big uh to scale because obviously you were you're pretty new success that allowed you more opportunities over there at the publishing company um i think my first uh I think getting to work with little big town was a big deal and what did that what do you mean getting to work with so them? they so they signed them to they signed them as songwriters and they said okay Martha you're going to work with little big town and so it's basically you get they'll send you their new songs or they'll allow you to set up a co-write or you know sit in on a song meeting or something like that I think that was great I think I did work with some really great songwriters back in the day that one I remember actually I'll tell you one thing that for me from a career perspective there was a song that Rascal Flatts put out called I'm Moving On. I don't know if you know that I song. Know it, yeah. It's brilliant. It's brilliantly written. And I worked with, I repped that writer, and I remember it won ACM Song of the Year. And that was back in the day when they allowed the publisher to come on stage when the songwriter accepted the award. And so I remember going up on stage, and I was like, it doesn't, this is it. It doesn't get any bigger or better than this. Because in my life at that moment, it never had, you know? And I can still feel like talking about it. I still, like, I Feel it, and so I would say that for me was like a turning point of going, okay, wow, I'm 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 attaching myself to great talent. Did you feel like publishing was where you were going to live? No, no, I was no. <laughs> I'm a terrible publisher. <laughs> so then you're working. Are you just accumulating skills in your mind, or are you just trying to find your next spot? Trying to find your next spot, right? And that's the thing is you have to do. I was trying to do. Do I mean I started my own company? 
I, my own publishing company with a colleague. We started a second company that became what's now Big Machine Music. I mean, we did like we did a good job, but I always knew, I always felt like I was wearing like a shoe that was like a size too small or something. And so it was the discovery process for me. When you say you started a company that became Big Machine, what do publishing. you... Publishing. Oh, got it. Got it. <laughs> publishing. So, but, okay. So did Big Machine buy... Yeah, so basically, uh, Mike Molinar, who still works for Big Machine, we started a company. We had a first company with an investor, sold um, sold that back to him, had the ability to do a second company. The second company, um, we signed some artists and talent that Scott had signed to his label as well, and we helped develop them. And Scott came to us and said, hey, I don't have anybody developing talent and songwriters like you guys are. I want to start a publishing wing of Big Machine. Can I do that with your company that you guys have? And I knew at that point I wanted to get into management. And I think for Mike, he, that really was an aspiration of his to have the resources to really, his, they're killing it. He's killing it right now. And, um, and so here we are. When you want to get into management at that age, you know, 20s, early 30s, what is management? What did it mean to you then? Oh, my gosh. I had no idea. I mean, it's really... I'm so fortunate because the first artist that I managed was just up and coming. And so he allowed me to learn alongside him. So I remember I thought we had him. He was opening up for Rodney Atkins. Who's he? His name's Greg Bates. He does. I, he had one. He had I know one who Greg hit. Bates is. Yeah. I did it for the girl. Great songwriter. And he, uh, so we, so he was opening for Rodney Atkins at like a casino in Biloxi, Mississippi. And I was like, all right, this, we got a gig. And so I didn't know. So I thought you had to advance the gig. And so I, I don't know why I called the casino. I, I should have just called Rodney Ackman, whatever <laughs> you learn. I called the casino and this like grouchy man was like, you want to, you want to advance the gig? And I was like, yeah, uh, yes, I do. And he was like, okay, well, all right, what do you need? And I was like, I have no idea. And he goes, okay, how many DIs do you need? I don't know what a DI is. And he was like, and then he just starts laughing. And so then he just starts telling me a DI. Is your guy playing a guitar? Yes. Okay, you need a DI because he's going to plug his guitar in. Is he singing? And I said, yes. Okay, you need a microphone. Is he bringing anyone else? No. Okay, you just advanced your first show. And I was like, all right, that's easy. <laughs> and so I guess you go to your first show? Yeah, we go. We go? drove Did down you? there. I had a, I had a red um, Volkswagen Jetta and drove all the way. It's a long, long drive to Biloxi. Because it's water. It's got to drive all the way down the water. It's way down there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you finish your first show. Is it like a, is it a high? Is it your first? It's amazing. You're like, we just did it. Our first show. I just got me 15%. And you know what? A- yeah. yeah. I mean, it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, if you do the math, it's not, it wasn't. I spent more in gas, but that's okay. So what did you learn from your time with Greg? If I were to say you get one lesson to share with the world about your time with Greg as a manager, what'd you learn? I would say that I learned that, God, that's a great question. I would say during my time with him, I learned how to be confident in being a manager and be confident in asking questions and saying, I don't know, but I'm going to go figure it out. I'm going to go find out. I'm going to go, I'm going to admit that I don't know the answer to something. Because you were inexperienced, I'm assuming there was a fear in admitting you were inexperienced because then people would think of you as inexperienced. Yeah, I mean there was there was some of that, but I, you know, I, I did, I did ask a lot of questions, and a lot of people helped me. You know, a lot of people. His booking agent, Mark Dennis, who works at CA, he was really helpful. 
um, early days. The label, Jimmy Harnon, Scott, they were great. They were very patient with me. So from Greg, then what happens? So when I was working at another management company, so I had, we did the big machine deal. I knew I wanted to do management full time. I went to work with a management company and I really learned a ton there. And that was with um, a manager named Jason Owen, who manages Casey Musgraves and Dan and Shay and a bunch of people. And so when I started working there, they had just uh, launched the Casey album, that first, that amazing record. Same trailer? Different yeah. yeah. And I remember just observing how they did it. And it was so different than coming from a big big machine where country radio was the, the that was the biggest promotion the way you promoted an artist to more like media marketing with Casey, it was just fascinating to watch. And so I was able to learn, wow, there's different ways that you can reach people. And that I think is something that I've applied even now with Kane. We have to reach people in different ways because not everybody's paying attention to an, a New York Times article, but also not everybody is listening to the radio all the time either. So working with Jason, what was your job? there was it to help on a bunch of artists did you have your own artists that you were day-to-day on so i had i was a day-to-day because i brought greg with me and i was a day-to-day and then jason was uh the his company was going through a trend tra- I, I don't want to say too much of his business but it was going through a transitional period so i wasn't able to really sign anything and then um so then i left because i was bored <laughs> i wanted to work on more projects and so i left and uh that would have been in January of 2015, I left and kind of said, I'm going to go out on my own. I want to sign some more things because I wasn't really able to do that at Sandbox, which is his company. And so then I was just kind of on my own and I signed some art. So just was working with some artists. And um, and I said, and, and this sounds like a very um, Oprah thing to say, but I, in January of 2015, I was like, I'm going to say yes to everything because something is out there. I can feel it. I know there's something coming and I, I don't want to miss it because I say no. So I was approached by a guy named Jay Frank to be a consultant for his company that he had, which was an independent record label. And so I said, okay, I'll, yeah, all right, I'll go try this out. Yes, I'll do it. Meanwhile, managing a couple other little acts. And then I got in there and Jay said, hey, also, we have this one guy. He's a country guy we signed. We saw him online. Um, his name's Kane Brown. He's from Chattanooga, Tennessee. And Jay, was, Jay admitted, he said, I, I don't really know if I know what to do with it. And I said, well, let me meet him. And I met Kane and I said to Jay, I said, everything else you're working on, like respectfully, this is the thing. This is the thing. And he was like, okay, all right, go what, work Why? On what struck you in a, in a meeting with Kane? Well, Kane, the first meeting I had with him, he didn't, you know, Kane's shy. He's very, very shy. And so, and he's come out of his shell quite a bit as he's gotten older, but he was very shy and didn't say much. But he just has, there is a, he has a charisma to him where when he walks in the room, like, you turn your head like you know what I mean like he has like almost that like energy force field energy that like draws you in and so I was he's an incredible singer and I um he's obviously biracial and I was fascinated by um how he had marketed himself online on Facebook he marketed himself you know and he was and he understood he would say you know those early videos when he was going viral I mean he was he was growing he was growing 25,000 followers a day and we would watch it because he would post a video and he would say, I'm going to sing a cover of Check Yes or No by George Strait. And most people were like, this guy? You know, because country music didn't look like Kane Brown in 2015. And that's part, of, that's part of the attraction to me too is that country music didn't look like Kane Brown. And now it does a little bit more, I think. With you meeting Kane, I mean, I, he, 
maybe he didn't, but he kind of had to say yes to you too. Or did he just not have any leverage at all and was like, I'll take anybody that's smart that knows what's going on? No, he did. He had another guy that was working with him at the company. And um, and so I was always just very like, hey, if you ever need, if you have a question, I can help you answer it. And then uh, one day he sent me a text message. It's like classic Kate. He sent me a text message and said, hey, do you, do you want to be my person? And I was like, I picked up the phone and called him. I was like, dude, of course. Yeah, I'll be your person. He's like, Okay. And then that was that was kind of that. Which I asked that question, asking, why do you think Kane felt like you were the right person for him? I think because um, even before I was his quote person, I took him. He wanted to hear some songs, and he wanted to meet some songwriters. And I, I think he creatively. I think he knew that I understood like musically where he wanted to go, and and put and introduced him to some people and. And I never asked anything in return for that. Um, and then I don't know, like personality-wise, like we, like we always just kind of connected. Maybe we have the same. He and I have the same birthday. Maybe that's it. I don't know. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they'll last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. They offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. And stay cool in short sleeve moisture wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats. New in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tacova's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. Tacovas.com. And don't go gently, y'all. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. 
I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. How do you do with balance? Balance like... Life. The, life, life, life work. Oh, yeah. No, the work-life balance. I, <laughs> the work-life balance. Look, the work-life balance. Please, I'm going to take notes on this. I, my no. wife and I struggle with this. Well, you're, well somebody's not going to like my answer because the work-life balance is a fool's mission, in my opinion. Like, you can't... Like, you can't... You can't put that pressure on yourself, right? You can't put your that pressure on yourself. Okay, this week I'm going to do X number of hours with my family, X number of hours with work. I'm going to turn off my phone. Like, it doesn't work like that. And I think when you put that pressure on yourself, things actually become harder. I think what I try to do, and people would, you know, if, probably if you asked my family, they would, oh, Martha works all the time. Yeah, probably. Okay, fair. But, <laughs> but I like it. I enjoy it. But... um but I try to be where I am. That's the whole thing. I try to be where I am. So if I'm, I have two kids and if I'm with my kids and we're playing, uh, they're like big game players, you know, they love games and gambling and all that, which is, I love it. So we're in an intense Uno game. I am in that Uno game. I'm not, if I'm at my kids' uh, soccer game, I'm not on my phone sending emails. But if I'm at work, I'm at work. If I'm traveling, I'm traveling. And so I think that's part of it, just being being where you are. I think that's a I think that's a version of balance, though, being ever-present. Maybe so. Wherever you are. I mean, I don't know that I've heard a better definition of balance than where you are being where you are. I struggle with that. I think, you know, I've been married now since July of last year. Otherwise, I've been single my whole life, and I have worked. And and one of the big struggles at the house is as soon as I wake up, laptop open, either start working on the show or start writing. And I could literally, and I have, and she's actually just – let me know because she'll she just watch and like just letting you know. I will go until it's time to go to sleep. Yeah. And then right before I go to sleep, down. And I've just stayed at it in one version the whole time. And when I'm not at it, I'm still at it, which I'm on the phone, which I don't like. That's the old version of me that was never going to change. I was right. I was never going to grow. Being that I was going to be more successful, but as a human being, I wasn't really growing because I was only working. There was nothing outside of these blinders except... A, B, C, D, E, F, G, that's all. My struggle is being present. You know, the thing that made me be present most more than anything is when I had kids. We know we're talking, we're, we're in. We're, yeah. When I had kids. Yeah. And it's, and, 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 and I will say this, I was never like a kid's person. I never even really saw myself as a, having kids. The second baby I ever held in my life was when I had my daughter. Wow. My life. Second ever? My life. Wow. Imagine Well, that. who was the other one, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I wonder. Like, who was the one, one baby that you felt the need to just hold? No, I think it was, yeah, I don't know. I think it was after I got married and they just assumed like, oh, you want the baby. And then I think they could tell by like, I was like, it's like, it's, is it going to explode? Like, I don't know. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like, I was so comfortable being a parent, but it makes, it is such a gift and it makes me better at my job and it makes you cut out the the deadwood, right? Because there's so much stuff we have that comes at us. It's just time wasting, you know? And I and I became more focused and more efficient. I like that you're present. Like, I think that I, I just learned something here. That is a new version of, 
balance. Yeah. Being present and be where you are when you're there. Yeah. Because I still work 14 hours a day. Sure. Me but too. I try to actually have dinner and put my phone away. Yeah. I try. Just for 45 minutes. Most, yes. On the weekends, I try to make sure to go, we're going to, I'm going to plan this and we're going to do it. And it has nothing to do with me writing jokes or work. And so that has been something that I've been working on. But I imagine when you start with Kane and you're kind of starting over in a sense of you got your guy now, you're together. I got to imagine it's a, the big snowball is coming at you again as far as like we got everything to do now to work on. Yeah, I mean, I I let other th- I let go of other things or other people, other clients I had fired me. I remember one person fired me like the night of the CMAs because I was paying too much attention to Kane. And, and, and honestly, that was all a gift, right? Because for the first... Two, two and a half, three years we worked together, it was all we did. We were so focused. Kane and I were like laser beam locked in. And if something came at me that didn't have anything to do with what our mission, I'd, no, I just ignored it. When Cut you, it out. When you guys were kind of making your, your, your early plan, was it, hey, people are going to tell you you don't look like country music. And here's what we're going to do back at that. Um, yeah, I mean, people, it, it wasn't even a... We, I didn't even think about, oh, we're going to retaliate. There's, well, not retaliate, you know? but, but it can be, we're going to put out great songs over and over again. Yeah, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Right. And super serve the fans and super serve the people that, that are there for you, you know? And that's even the advice now. It's like even Kane and I talk about it now where people are so mean on the internet. And it's like, just lean into the ones that are kind, you know? Yeah, when, whenever I moved here, it was awful. I mean, the first two and a half years were awful for me here. Awful. I can't imagine. And it wasn't just Nashville because Nashville kicked the crap out of me for a long time. But it was, you know, they took us and put us on all of these uh, country radio stations, which meant a lot of these stations had radio guys that were either retiring or they were firing because ratings weren't good. And so we weren't just feeling it on a level here at home. We were getting it in every single market. On fa- So I had to tell my guys, like, stay off of everything. Let me handle it. Stay off of it. But what we're going to do, we're never going to get those people. They are never – they are ne- – they may in a couple of years come back around, but we got to take our people who are with us and make sure they know that they are the most important thing and that's who we're here for. And so it was a version of that where we just knew we weren't getting those people that were, that were upset that we existed. Yeah, you we, can't. And that'll, that'll exhaust you. And why not lean into what's working? And because eventually they'll start growing. And, and for you, for Kane, for whoever, those, then they start outnumbering the dissenters, and then all of a sudden they start quieting the dissenters, and that's where you want to be. And then some of the dissenters come back around and go, you know what? I didn't really give you a chance at first. That's right. But they don't. They never say they were wrong, by the way. They never say they were wrong. <laughs> they, they're just like, you know, I hated you at first, and now, you know, my sister likes you. They won't even say they like us, but they're like, hey, my sister likes you. But I just, I know what that feels like to go and, 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 not the same way at all because we do different things, but just have everyone immediately go, you're not us and you don't represent us. When in the end, I represented them more than anything in the past that had claimed to do so, which was the craziest thing to me. Exactly. But you never had that opportunity to even express that. So when Kane is putting out the first music as a managed, was he signed yet? Or did you do that with him? Um, yeah. It feels complicated. Yeah, it's complicated. Okay, so <laughs> when, you put mu- when you put out your first music that you're going to go to DSPs, uh, digital or radio, 
like your first, this is our first big release together. Why did you choose the body of work that you chose? Like, what was it to you that that said, here, this is our entrance into the big world? Yeah, when he, so when I first started working with Kane, he had put some songs out independent. He was in a production deal and independently had put some songs out and they did really well. So then when he made his first, like you said, it was an EP. It was a five or six song EP for Sony. It was um, it was a couple of those songs that he had put out, you know, because they'd never really been included in a collection of work. And then the other were when Kane, he did really work on his songwriting. When he came to town, he really worked on songwriting and found his small group. And so the others were songs that he had written that he was proud of. And Kane was touring. He was selling out what was crazy is he was selling out 1,500 2,000 cap rooms without having any product out. It was wild. And so we really couldn't get that first EP out quick enough. So when you put out, what was the first song? I'm trying to think about it. Used to Love You Sober was his first kind of song. So why that one? Um, That one was a song that that was the first song he ever wrote when he came to Nashville. And he put it on social media. And Kane was one of the first artists to tease their music, in Nashville at least. I don't want to outside Nashville, other people were doing it, but in Nashville to really tease his music on social media and the demand for it was so high that he put it out. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling. They'll last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. They offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. And stay cool in short sleeve moisture wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tacova's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. Tacovas.com. And don't go gently, y'all. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Were you satisfied with the reaction and also the success of the song? Because it wasn't a number one, I don't think. It was a thirty number 37. Okay. But did you feel like, hey, we got some good traction here with the first one, or were you disappointed? Well, we put it out, and it uh, at the time, 
iTunes was a thing. You know, iTunes really mattered and it did really well on iTunes. And it's number one on iTunes. We're like, oh my gosh, when we put this, take this to the radio, it's going to be like an instant hit. And it wasn't. And so that was a bit of a reality check. And the thing about it is with Kane was selling all these tickets. And so we were like, you know what? We're still connecting with people, obviously, because they're coming out and seeing the show and they're the song was a gold record and all of this stuff. So we just ha- you just have to kind of keep moving, keep working towards something. Second song? The second song um the label chose it was called Thunder in the Rain. You know, I don't remember that one. I remember the I, I know the first one. Thunder in the Rain was went to like number 48. It was not um not not necessarily the greatest one we had. And so Thunder in the Rain uh I remember when that was out, it was up-tempo, and it was like, okay, this is, but it was real, musically, it wasn't really as much Kane. It's not like he performs it live every night or whatever, but um, by this point, he had made a full album, and so we put out his first full album um, with a number 48 song coming off the chart. Are you guys like, it's like two worlds. It's like one world, you're selling, you're selling yeah. both both tickets yeah. and music. Yeah. Because at the time, that was the thing. We actually sold downloads. But then you have, I'm assuming, these old school uh, gatekeeper radio programmers that just aren't buying it. I mean, is buying it the term that you would use? I mean, there was, I think, uh, you know, and I would never say who I don't I don't even know if they're still around but I remember there was one um one person at a station and I and I didn't really get in the weeds on that because you know the record labels have like whole teams of people that talk to the radio and stuff and but somehow I don't know I think because we were doing a show in the market and I remember I was talking to this guy and and he uh I was like hey Kane sold out the show in your market and and uh, it would be awesome, like, if you could, you know, maybe, like, play the song. We'd love to. He sold out the show in their market, and you're begging for a little radio and support. He, oh, yeah. That happened everywhere. And he and the guy said, well, we don't, I, I don't play urban music. I play country music. And I said, oh, I know. That's that's wonderful, because Kane Brown is a country artist. And he said, no, he's not. And I said, yes, he is. It was like this, like, it was, like, comical almost. And yes, he is. And he goes, I know he's not. I just looked at him. And I said, okay, well, maybe you should go listen to him. And that was the end of the conversation. And he did not play the song. <laughs> I looked at him. I know he's not country. I looked at him. And now I'm assuming, again, I'm going to do a lot of assuming here, that as Kane has, and Kane's, again, and we're going to end this in a little bit, talking about how massive he is, yet still underappreciated, that, again, how massive he is in places, that's probably still happening in a way. And I think that's probably why he's not getting the respect he deserves. I think, do you mean like for award nominations? I mean, like that? for everything. You know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think sometimes, uh, I, th- I, I don't know, maybe people put their vote behind what they see themselves in and maybe they're but isn't that the same superficial thing? and don't see themselves in how somebody looks. Mm, well, then I will say it. I do think that is a major. There is just no reason that an artist, if you t- take away faces and skin color and genitals, let's pull all that off, okay? It's the weirdest shape. Sure, it's, it's all like there. A Mr. It's, yes, head. it's that. And you just line up body of work, yeah. songs, uh, streams, hits, radio, radio number ones, concert. There's no reason that Kane 
shouldn't be. And he is to people like me and fans, but to the people that are organizing these higher level awards, there's no reason he shouldn't be in those conversations. Right. So, I agree. So what's the factor that keeps him from being there? If you can answer that question, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to answer that question. What's interesting? Oh, I can answer the question. I just did. <laughs> what's, well, and what's interesting is it's not everywhere, right? Kane's on the Time 100 list. The Time 100 list, when the 100 most influential people in the world because he's changing, he has changed the country format, I think, and perceptions of what is country music. And so it's not, it's not everywhere, right? But in the same respect, to your point, Kane Brown should be nominated for CMA Entertainer of the Year. And not, I'm glad you said that, and not male artist. Yeah, because he, he definitely, should be nominated for he, that too. But he's right, that's what I was saying. He definitely should be. But <laughs> you're absolutely right. He should be. He sold out all 29 NBA arenas, you know? He has God billion streams. I don't even know how many. I you ever feel like just buying a billboard and going, here are the facts, listen facts. Or you could do like they do sometimes in, in, with, with sports. They'll go like, this person has all these accolades. This person has thrown for this many yards. Which one are you taking? And then they don't say who it is. And then they pop them up and it's like, oh, I didn't know that Kirk Cousins had better stats than, and you're like, oh, I had no idea. I've just been led to believe because, I mean, I would, I would be going crazy. He's the big. He is the most unappreciated, massive artist that I have ever seen here. Right, and, and I and is that a is how how do you how do you change people's habits? Because I also think sometimes, like with the with voting for those awards and stuff, people vote out of habit too. Oh yeah, so and so, and you're, you're like that that person hasn't put an album out in six years, but they've won the last six times, so you just kind of vote for them out of habit. That's happening less and less. I understand that point. But I don't know that that's applicable to Kane necessarily. I don't either. I think that you still have a small selection of folks that are not going to give Kane his due because of the same reason the first program director said he wasn't going to play Kane's urban music. And I believe that is being shaved down every single day. And that is being filtered out a little more all the time. But I would be lying if I didn't say that it wasn't there. Right. And to be as, again, you said he sold at every NBA arena. He goes to uh, LA and sell, what do you play? The Forum? Where did he play? Staples the Center. Staples Center. Crypto. Yeah. yeah. Twice in a year, two years. Who else can do out. that? Who else can do that? I mean, yeah. there's a few and they're up for entertainer of the year. That's right. Yeah, no, it's true. I, I mean, but what's interesting is if you look at the fan voted awards, um, the CMT awards. Always wins. Always nominated, always wins. He hosted them last year. Well, and I don't want to keep beating this up, but I just feel like he is vastly, um, and I won't say disrespected because it's hard to say disrespect when someone has done so much, but he's done it all, yet he still hasn't been given what I think is deserved. Maybe underappreciated. Well, I've said like four times already, and I don't want to keep saying the same word because Bobby said underappreciated 19 times in this stupid (laughs) podcast. There are people to count those things. But yeah, I just, it's just, uh, it's amazing for me to see what you guys have done together. And it is at times frustrating to see what other people won't allow. Yeah. And it's only a very small, it's a select group, but that's a big enough group to actually not allow it to happen. Right. So does the group need to change? And the group is changing slowly. But like you said, people don't like when their culture is being changed. 
on a on a smaller level, I just have empathy because I've been there. And I know what it's like to win everything and have everything. And you're still, to some people, enough people to matter, a joke, undeserving. Right. So, and it's and that's completely me. false. And that's me. I'm not talking about Kane, but I'm, no, just talking but, about, I'm, no, I'm inserting me into that. It's very, I mean, it's a parallel situation. And I think that you, um, again, like you just, like, tr- trust me, like anytime those nominations come out, like it's, most people, it's like Christmas morning and oh my gosh. And for me, it's just like dread, you know, it's, it's, and it's, um, and, and Kane's always gracious. And if they invite him to come to the show and perform, he always comes and, and performs and does all of that. And he tries to be very gracious about it. And I appreciate that and always take the high road, but. You ever like, dude, you don't have to do that. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, my my people do that to me too. Sometimes yeah. we've, really, go. we've really been dicked over a couple of times in a couple of situations, and I'm like, don't do it. Yeah, why? Like they don't respect you. Why are you going to respect it back? Well, I just uh, I love what you guys have done and are doing, and I do feel like you're underappreciated. Ding, nineteen. <laughs> um, so, and again, I think you'll be looked upon your unit, you Kane, your team, as one of the real game changers for an entire era of country music. That in the future, when it's looked upon, it's going to be normal because you guys have normalized it. Yeah. You know, you actually uh, built the road six feet over to the left or right. I don't mean left or right, but you built the road in a new place and people are just going to drive to that road in the future. And they're not even going to know and they're just going to look at you as someone, oh, wow, yeah. It's, yeah. We're all no. doing it because, like, Kane. That's what my hope is. My hope is that the eight year old doesn't ever know country music where they don't necessarily see them, all types of people represented. Because there are all types of country fans out there. So what's what's the goal then? Now, um, is it when you and Kane talk about goals? We have, you know, we my little team, we have a meeting at the end of every year or mostly the beginning, we're tired at the end of the year. We always plan at the end of the year and then we're like, uh, we'll just yeah, catch back January. up in like mid-January." Yeah. What what do you talk about this year? Like what is what's the goal this year and the next 5 years? Yeah, I mean, for Kane, he doesn't like to he would say this himself. He doesn't like to set goals. I think it's a lot of pressure. For me, um, I'm always, every success we have, I will say this for both of us, he and I, we never, um, when we do have a big success, I, I, we don't really like revel in it, you know, we don't like so something. Can you enjoy it though? I, I mean, maybe for a split second, but for me, like anytime you have success, it's simply an opportunity and almost like for me, I feel an obligation to build and grow the next thing. So how do we build and grow? Oh, you, you whatever, you host the CMT Awards, okay, how do we build and grow the next thing or whatever it may be. So I would say for me, um, for Kane, though, short-term goal next year is I'd like to really expose the world to him, you know, and we'll do that through touring and we'll do that through probably some other uh, collaborate, like musical collaborations. Uh, so you're now working with Restless Road. Yes. So what... What is that story on you with them? So, I mean, the Restless Road backstory has been told a couple of times, but they know Kane from years ago. And so when we, um, for me, when Kane and I, a few years, uh, 2019, pre-pandemic, um, I felt like we were in a good place. And, I, and I, we sat down and we had a meeting. And I asked him, I said, do you want to be... Um, like the type of artist who tours six months out of the year. And, you know, he had some hits under his belt, some selling records and tickets and then chills for six months out of the year. Or do you want to be the type of artist that is building like businesses, but kind of working all the time and 
putting their hand in different things and whatever. And he was like, I want to take advantage of this opportunity as much as I possibly can. That's what I want to do. And I said, okay, then we're going to build out some other like verticals or whatever term you want to use. And so we started a joint venture label with Sony. We started a production company. Um, he started a publishing company. And so Restless Road, we signed, they're the first artists we signed to our joint venture label. So we have, yes, we manage them, but we also have a different type of investment and in them. And so um, my goal is to grow them so that this can be, that they can be, we don't have anything in the format like them. And I think that they're incredibly talented and they're good people. So I want them to be successful for the rest of their lives. What is your most emotional career moment? Um, my most emotional career moment would, you know, I don't want to go to the negative, right? But like any of those disappointments like you're talking about, you know, um, oh, you're not nominated for this. You're not nominated for that. You know, like that stuff. I take it pretty hard because I take it as a personal failure. You know, I really do. Like if, if Kane Brown's not nominated for a CMA award, I take it as a personal failure. And so that's very like emotional, like, like, oh, I couldn't do enough. Um, but on the positive, I would say, I would say on the positive, probably, um, like, like the AMA awards with Kane were amazing. His first one where he won three AMAs and got to go up on stage and in front of his, you know, all types of formats of music. That was a really big deal. And, you know, I think just, uh, the, our tour, getting back to touring after the pandemic was very emotional, you know, cause it was such a complex set of emotions we felt. And we'll kind of wrap with this. I mean, we've done an hour. I could do three, honestly. This, it's just been great. Um, when it comes to new artists, and where there were a lot of new artists that listened to this podcast, this this podcast was kind of born out of me talking to songwriters and people that do so much of the creating, if it's a person in a job like yours or a songwriter or a publisher or producer, um, and it's kind of swollen so big that well, artists come in because they want to talk about the second layer. So we have all these new artists that listen to this going, all right, how do I go from new, unsigned, unmanaged to meeting those kind of people? So all that being said, like how does someone get a manager? Yeah, someone that's not in Nashville especially, right? I think um, honestly it's easier now, believe it or not, than ever before because we have social media and you have TikTok. And I think the way you get a manager and the way you get a team around you is you create a fan base and you start figuring out how to connect with people and how to create your little world online. Um, and that, I, I mean, I think that that's the first step is build your fan base. Well, I'll, I'll end it how I started. I just think you're such a visionary for a lot of the things that you do that we didn't even talk about here. I also think Kane is like such a good dude aside from just the music part of it. Like, I just love the guy. I just, I mean. Yeah, he is who he is. And it took me a long time to understand because he didn't talk. And I was always like, okay, I don't know if he's a jerk or if he's shy. Right. He comes off aloof. So, again, I do too at times. If, I, if I'm not, when I'm on, I'm completely off. And people are like, well, that guy's a dick. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want to bother people. So I'm just going to sit back. And I think I was like, I don't know if I like this guy because he doesn't talk. Right. And maybe he hates me. Right. And then I'm projecting. Right. And making assumptions yeah, and jumping to conclusions. And, and he's probably jumping to the same conclusions. Just so that being said, I've, the longer I've been here and been able to spend time alongside him and then even with him. And, you know, I think we have kind of a minor almost friendship now. That's what I, a minor Absolutely. almost. That's what I yeah. call it. Because 
he'll text, you know, well, he's invited to play basketball. You know, that kind of stuff happens. But it's just like, I just like the guy for a lot of the things he does that people don't know about. And I'm not even going to say some of the stuff they are now, but he just does a lot because I think he's been through a lot and he wants to help people not go through the same crap that he went through or similar things. Yes, that's so very true. I feel like like Nashville got lucky to have him. And I feel like, and I'm Nashville, just the country music world. And I feel like that that is not understood yet. I agree with you. And I feel like Kane got really lucky to have you. That's nice. And I just, I, I just love what you guys are doing. So thank you so much. And I think, Mike, I think we hit an hour here, huh? Yeah. yeah. So usually we do 10 minutes. But we did it. I'm just kidding. No, we don't. <laughs> Wait a minute. We don't. We don't. Well, th- thank you for, for coming by. Thank you for having I me. Think a lo- I think people will take a lot from this. And um, Kane Brown, Restless Road, who do you have on your arsenal now that's... Um, we just signed a band, uh, a non-country band, an alt-pop, sort of synth-pop band called Nightly that we're really excited about. Um, and then kind of all of the 1975. And then um, an artist named Dylan Schneider who just signed a deal with Broken Bow. All right, there she is. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Great to talk to you. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.